This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome you to Speed Bumps, and my guest today is Jake from Local Listens, and I'm going to let Jake introduce himself and also plug where he is at. Hey, thank you, Elle. It's nice to be here, and congratulations on your brand new podcast. I loved your first episode, and I'm honored that you invited me to be on your show, so thank you for that. And Thank you. My name is Jake Loco Rotondo. I usually just go by Loco, and uh, I'm a high school teacher. I go by Mr. Loco when I'm at work, but for, for this purpose, uh, you, you can find me on the Loco Listens podcast, and I've been doing it for about less than a month, and it's been really exciting. Um, that's how we met, Elle, so it's really cool that this community has opened itself up to us, and that's what I'm really thankful for is just to be in the community. Um, I was once a listener, but now we're participants, so it's really cool to do this and to connect with new podcasters as well. So thanks again for having me. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, speed bumps, we, you can talk about whatever speed bumps you want, good, bad, your whole life story, a certain part, whatever you want to talk about. Um, but before we get started, I wanted to ask you, what are your two favorite things about yourself? <laughs> yep. Uh, the first one would be, well, people usually say this to me and I don't know if it's like an insult or it's like a projection of their insecurities or they're just genuinely concerned about me, but (laughs) they're always like, Jake, why are you smiling all the time? And I'm just to be clear, I'm not always smiling, but when I'm out with people, I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be around people. I used to consider myself to be very introverted and like the thought of going to a party or something like that especially with family would freak me out. Like I would legitimately like hide sometimes like, all right, I'm going to go in the basement. Hopefully no one follows me down there and I can just like wait it out till everyone's gone. But yeah, I mean, I uh, learned to kind of smile through it all and not in like an inauthentic way, but finding a way or finding a reason to be happy um, when there might be very few reasons to be happy. And it's, uh, 
although people say it to me kind of like poking fun at me I'm like ha well that's guess what that's my superpower so (laughs) deal with it yeah (laughs) and uh the second thing well people have given me uh advice and I've asked for a lot of advice about how to have better conversations how to be just a better uh socializer and so that was a very vulnerable position to put myself in especially when I'm like how do I talk to girls? Like, how do I open up to the ladies? How do I do that? And it was compliment me. And they say, wow, like, you're so good at talking to people. You can talk to anyone. You can adapt yourself to any conversation. So I wasn't always like that. I used to stutter quite a lot. I still stutter sometimes. But the, the second thing that I really like about myself is just that I do feel capable of connecting with anyone, even if they are way far on the other side of whatever spectrum it's always nice to be able to find the humanity within that separation. I love that, that empathetic where you're not just like listening to someone, but you genuinely try and relate to them and understand Mm. that their experience. And even like you said, even if they're on the total opposite spectrum of whatever that spectrum is, you try and find that common ground. And I think that's awesome. Thank you. So what are some speed bumps or a speed bump that Mm. you wanted to share today? Sure. So the first one that comes up, and this might be a very popular one these days, unfortunately, and that's something that we can talk about. (laughs) (laughs) The first one that comes up is that uh, I'm a child of divorce. And I was about 12 years old and my parents split up. And, you know, I was just thinking about this earlier, um, because I'm in a telegram chat with uh, a bunch of guys, it's called the stag, and we are basically like a men's group supporting each other figuring out ways how we can be better men in this world. And you know, I love that. Yeah. Thank you. It's I'm happy that I was invited. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Gordy two shoes. He's the owl guy that you probably see on the internet. Uh, yep. I love that guy. Gordy's amazing. He in- invited me into this stag group and we've been sharing a lot of, you know, that buzzword, like the generational trauma that we have been uh, acquiring throughout these thousands of years. And so what comes up is, the speed bump was not necessarily the divorce itself because there was a lot of fighting between my parents, not physical fighting, but just like verbal abuse back and forth. And that sucked. And my brother and I were having a terrible time when the divorce actually happened and they split up. That was actually a a pretty good thing because that created a little bit more peace in the household. But the speed bump that came with that, you know, the initial speed bump was obviously that conflict. But the speed bump after that was, well, I'm just like my father. Like me and my dad are like two peas in a pod. We're like peas and carrots. So (laughs) (laughs) so I lived with my mother for years and years after the divorce. And I'm a daily constant reminder of my father. And so I I, I could tell that she kind of resented me or she didn't resent me, but she resented what I've reminded her of, which was the, the man who cheated on her and betrayed her and you know and her in her eyes probably ruined her her life but you know I tried to overcome that by just being myself and my dad and my mother uh, my father and my mother and my brother the four of us have really stuck it out these these last couple years we've really come closer and that was probably the biggest speed bump initially um, because before the divorce before they started fighting and all this things were just peachy. So I, you know, that's the first thing that definitely comes up for me. Yeah. I, 
So my parents were never divorced. However, like a lot of my friends had divorced parents. Mm. Um, I have a stepdaughter. So currently dealing with that dynamic and even I feel like in children who don't have divorced parents, there's always, you always seem to resonate with one parent more than the other. And it always seems to be the things that like irritate the other parent. Mm. Um, I'm very much like my father and you know, if my mom and I are fighting, she can like see the things that yeah. annoy her that I, you know, are similar to my dad. Mm. Um, and there's this thing out right now. I don't know if it's a thing, maybe it's something more that's talked about. It's this gentle parenting and recognizing oh. generational traumas and just basically dealing with your own shit first. Right. So hopefully these things don't happen when we have kids. Right on. You know, yeah. we're dealing with our things and we're not projecting onto them mm-hmm. because kids are so smart. And yeah. whether they can actually verbalize it at the time, they end up being able to verbalize it later on. So I'm glad that you guys are in a better place. Um, but I definitely know what you're saying about, you know, I probably reminded my mom of things and yeah, that, that can yeah. be a tough place for a kid to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she would say sometimes, and, you know, I don't hold any of this against either of them. My mother and my father are just human. I know that emotions can really skew our, our logic and our rational being. So it's, uh, you know, I don't hold this against them, but, you know, in the purpose of uh, understanding these speed bumps and like, you know, if anyone else is a child of divorce, they could probably relate, but she would say sometimes, you know, she would point out things that I would do. Like you're acting like your father right now. Don't, act like your father and that 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 phrase don't act like your father really stuck out because I was like man like well I know he's not a perfect guy like I'm not a perfect guy like how do I not act like him if I am just naturally so much like him you know like who am I really and so that kind of put like an existential gear in the wrench or yeah whatever the phrase is you know what I'm, I'm saying yeah it's like if there's let someone else tell me how to do that you know it's like if I'm acting like my father, I got to really think about what that really means. So I feel like that led me into psychology and psychoanalysis. And I never really did go to therapy except for one time. And it was right after they got divorced. And I sat down on the couch with the therapist who was very nice and was trying to make us feel comfortable. My brother and I went together to therapy, but we sat down with our, our arms crossed and we were very defensive and she could tell right away that we were holding a lot in. So this experience of learning the character qualities of my parents, figuring out how to deal with all of the contrast um, and finding a way to feel comfortable with each of them without having to bastardize the other or to attack one, one another. We we found a way to make peace and I can tell you the story of how that happened because it was, it was not easy and it did not happen overnight. I can say that. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to hear that story because I feel like there's in, in any divorce. So mm-hmm. I I've been divorced. Um, there's definitely can be that resentment. Yeah. And then you throw kids in the process who mm-hmm. they love both of their parents. They're not quite understanding, but you have these two adults who for whatever reason don't get along anymore. Don't mm-hmm. want to be in a relationship. Um, and then these phrases are thrown around, whether divorced parents or not, you're acting just like insert parent here. Right, right. And then it makes the child wonder, well, what's so bad about mom or dad? Mm-hmm. What's so bad that I'm doing right. that, you know, you have to say that. And if, even if it's speaking your mind, so I'm, yeah, I, I can, I don't sugarcoat things. 
And my mom would sometimes be like, you know, you're acting just like your father. You can't do that. And I'm like, but, but why can't I? Like, mm. what's so bad about that? And then right. they typically can't answer. Mm. And so that develops a whole nother thing of when you say that, you better be able to explain to your kid what, why what they're doing is so bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because if you tell a kid that something is bad and they're like, well, why? Sometimes the only answer that's available um, is like, well, because I don't like it. <laughs> it's like, exactly. it's not enough sometimes though. I mean, like, yeah, there are things that I don't like about my dad or my mom or myself or my, or my brother, but I accept them. And it's like, if they start to act in those certain ways, I'm like, well, they're just, they're just human. I mean, I, I can't change their behavior. I can only change the way that I respond to it. And that's exactly. been a constant lesson for me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes recognizing mm. that you can only tr- control how you respond to things, yeah. not other people. Yeah. And that's been a good lesson for all of us. Like I know in the beginning, like I said, I was 12 years old. Eventually when I was in high school and I was doing sports and we would have banquets or uh, yeah, like banquets or like award ceremonies, things like mm-hmm. that. And so you have a banquet and you celebrate the season. Like it was wrestling and every, at the end of every wrestling season, we would have this big banquet where we'd all celebrate and go out to, to dinner. And my mom would sit at one table and my father. Uh, so yeah, like we were not sitting together or they were not sitting together. And eventually after years, so, you know, I wrestled for four years in high school by my senior year, they found a way to sit at the same table and to become in the beginning, it was very hostile, especially because um, my dad had a, a new girlfriend. So that was like very challenging. Like, I can imagine being on the other end of that. That would that would suck. But this was the new reality, and we were all forced to accept it. And <laughs> it did not. Uh, it did not be. It, it became smooth as we went on. But in the beginning, it was very turbulent. And so I always remind myself that even though it took them years to sit at the same table. They did it eventually. And I'd like to think that my brother and I, being who we are, we help to support them. And if that ever happened again in any kind of way, like if my friend went through a divorce or even if my friend went through like just a a breakup, I would hope that I could be there to help them think about how to heal that wound and feel it authentically and not suppress it. And so I guess that's, I'm trying to like, think of why this was such a valuable situation. It was really witnessing these people humble themselves. You know, my, my parents set aside their bullshit and they're like, we're going to work together because we have two kids and we're going to come together. Even though I don't like your, your, your new girlfriend, I'm going to become her friend and we're going to all become a team. And that was the most inspiring thing to me was seeing them overcome their speed bump because it was affecting all of us. And once they decided to make that agreement to work together, um, then we were all able to live much, much happier and more stable lives for sure. That's awesome. No, it's beautiful that you say that about, you know, seeing your parents overcome speed bumps Mm -hmm. was valuable to you. And finding that peace is, I feel like really important. You see I feel like there's either these two extremes when it comes to co-parenting. Mm. It's either this super high conflict and the parents don't agree on anything. And one says, Hey, it's partly sunny. The other one says it's partly cloudy and they never mm. agree on anything or they can get to a point after a short period of time or a longer period of time. where like, 
you know, your parents where they're like, you know, we really don't like each other, but we'll tolerate you. Mm. And we can be in the same room for the kids, you know, might not be invited over for Thanksgiving dinner and that's right, fine. Right. But for the kids, if they have a, uh, a choir concert yep. or award ceremony, like we can go sit in the same thing, you know, near yeah, each you other. Show solidarity. Yeah. So solidarity for the kid doesn't mean that we like each other. Right. But we right. love the kid. And that's exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, so that was kind of like their, their process. And I, I've, I was obviously affected by this um, and quite resentful actually, because my brother, <laughs> my, my brother is four years older than I am. So it was perfect timing. It was like, right as I was finishing middle school and about to go into high school, he just graduated. So like when the divorce happened, he was able to go to college and like get away from it all. And I, for years, I kind of resented that. Cause I was like, damn, you got lucky. Like you got to leave. And I was kind of stuck here with the shit storm, but either way, I mean, it was for the best because that's what I really needed to like reflect on how I could be a part of this conflict resolution um, and, you know, it wasn't just my, my parents, it's like wherever I would be at work, at school, anywhere with my friends, it's like knowing how to help people or how to help yourself, um, when there's a challenge and when there's a lot of emotional turmoil and finding a way to keep things grounded in not always logic, but just thinking clearly through the feelings, explaining those feelings and trying to fi- find the source of those feelings is what's so challenging when you're in the thick of it, but I feel like I've gotten practice now. So that's, that's, that's been helpful. Yeah. It's funny. Some of the lessons that we don't want to learn uh, can be some of the most valuable finding the root cause Mm -hmm. of why we're angry at something or upset about something. Um, You know, if if someone cuts you off in traffic, are you really mad that someone just cut you off or is Mm -hmm. there a deeper reason, you know, are you mad because the the car looks like your ex or, you know, insert whatever root (laughs) cause you want here. Um, But finding the root cause is honestly key to healing some of that generational trauma too, that you mentioned, because without understanding that root cause of why you're upset or why you're angry, Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like putting a bandaid on things. Yeah. And And it's a great, yeah, you can continue putting that bandaid on, but like, you know, it's like, um, Jordan Peterson tells this story about this kid. Who's like, mom, dad, there's a dragon in this, in our living room. And they're like, Oh, don't worry about it. It's not real. And it keeps growing and growing and growing. And eventually it's like the whole house has been destroyed because this giant dragon has just continued growing and no one did anything about it. And so, yeah, I mean, that Band-Aid metaphor is perfect because like you can put a Band-Aid on it. You won't actually heal anything. You'll just be giving yourself temporary relief. And that's a good lesson for anything, whether that's with addiction or with, um, you know, emotions that are unprocessed will continue to fester. And there's a great quote by Carl Jung that's, the cave that you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Actually, I'm sorry, that might be Joseph Campbell, but I always lump them all together because they Either all way, that's are a just, great quote. They're all heroes, ironically. They're, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I do have to give people grace because sometimes you need those band-aids until you mm-hmm. can get into a space where you can fully process emotions sure. or deal with something. For sure. um, but at some point you do, you do have to deal with your shit. And <laughs> if you don't, it's it's, it's going to cause a lot of problems because, yeah. you know, obviously a kid may not be able to deal, you know, 13, 14 year old deal with their parents' divorce. But if you're still at 50 years old, uh, mad at your parents or mm. whatever, and this is my favorite phrase, my husband's like, you can't say that. Uh, <laughs> that comes down to that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. Oh, yep. 
because you can't keep blaming someone if you don't take responsibility for it. Yeah. So finding that root is hard, but it can help solve a lot of different things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the divorce, you know, that's like the first speed bump that I bring up because it's like the OG trauma that I've experienced. I had a very blessed life and um, I'm very thankful for both of my parents and my step, my stepmother. Um, this balloon actually behind me is uh, yes. to celebrate her finishing chemotherapy for breast cancer. And she's a big inspiration for me because not only did she find a way to bridge the gap between my mother and like her relationship with my dad, like she played a big role in just being a peacekeeper. And so I already had a lot of respect for her, just for her role that she played in helping me because, you know, that was a, a problem between them. Um, but she, she recognized and they, they all recognized how this affected the, the kids. So I'm thankful for that, but her battle through breast cancer, I mean, it was pretty rough and she never, ever lost her sense of humor. So when I thought about like, when people point out to me, like, Jake, you're always smiling, like, stop it. It's, it's creepy. I'm like, sorry, I just, I can't help it. Like life is hilarious. And that's who I, I think about because she was going through the absolute worst thing that ever happened to her. And she always laughed. She always found a way to laugh. And that, I think that's what we'll remember most about people is how they dealt with, how did they inspire others to overcome it as well? And I think that's what is so cool about your, your podcast. Cause you'll talk to a lot of people who will go through problems and scenarios that maybe you've never experienced, but getting them to open up about it will be so helpful for anyone listening who is going through it themselves. I appreciate that. And your stepmom sounds like an, an amazing woman because she's a badass. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Cause like you said, uh, some, a lot of the times how you handle something um, does say a lot about you. And that's not to say that if you have a down day or you get depressed or anything like that, that, that makes you any better or worse than anybody else. Um, but genuinely trying to find the silver lining in things mm. can make a really big difference. Um, I know that when I start to get really frustrated or upset about something, I'll start naming the little things I'm grateful for. Yeah. And it might be something stupid, simple versus like, okay, I'm thankful for coffee. I'm thankful that we have a working washer. It like causes maybe like, a chain reaction though, you know, it does because yeah. then as I continue, those things get bigger mm. and they, and it just, it calms me down and yeah. the situation may still totally suck. Like the situation didn't change, but my right. mindset about it did. And it's exactly. so cliche, but it works. Yep can't change everything but you can always change yourself or at the very least you can change how you react to things kind of like what we brought up earlier and another thing that i want to talk about today is well okay so that was my childhood basically and so i've dealt with all that we've been dealing with it it's kind of like it's kind of we've achieved closure i think all okay. four of us all five of us if i include my stepmother um, and my stepsister so that's you know, there's more, it's more, it's, it's always more complex than I can ever say it is, but yeah, oh, yeah. we have, um, we've come a long way and I just want to quickly, I'm sure my, my cousin probably won't hear this episode, but I can send it to her. Uh, she got married and she was aware of the situation and she was always like a mentor to me to help me just, she always wanted to check on me and make sure that I wasn't getting too lost in the sauce. So when she got married, she purposely stuck all of us together at one table 
So we were like forced to to deal with it for her wedding. And that was great. That was a real turning point. So it's like whenever you find yourself with nowhere else to to run or hide, be thankful for that because that's like your op- that's your opening to overcoming whatever you need to overcome. Like once you run away and run away, there's a point where you have to stop running. And so for for their sake and for my sake, I'm happy that my cousin decided to do that. But the other thing I want to talk about is now that I've dealt with that, I went on to become a high school teacher. And the first couple months, even the first year, I'm only in my second year as a full-time teacher. But okay. even as a sub, especially as a student teacher, when I got like the full responsibility, I always had what people call imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's like, you know, I just turned 27. Um, for some of these kids, like the seniors, I'm only 10 years older than them. In some cases, only nine. And I never felt like I was actually a teacher. And these first two years, I've been challenged to kind of overcome that doubt that I always place on myself. Like, well, you know, I'm not like, I'm not a very smart guy. Like I may like know some things. Like I remember a lot of quotes, like that's, that's something, but you know, I'm not the experienced teacher that I always leaned on. Like my favorite teachers were always much older than I was. And they were going into this. I was like, wow. Okay. This is and wait, your favorite teachers were what? Sorry. Yeah. My uh, favorite teachers were always like older and they were more experienced and they seemed wise. I would get along with my younger teachers, but you know, I think as kids, you were like looking up to the elders in a way. And at this point, I'm not an elder. I don't feel like an elder. I still feel like one of them. I feel like a kid. So having to kind of pull myself up from by my bootstraps, if you will, and be like, all right, well, you're here now, you're going to have to become an elder eventually. So start today, even if you don't feel like an elder right now, like you're going to become one eventually. So it's a process. But this first introduction to this career path, has forced me to think about that imposter syndrome, if you know what I mean. So it's oh yeah, you fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, exactly, L. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I was a substitute for a while, and I no look way. younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking into the office asking where the teachers' lounge was, and they're like, "Oh, that's for teachers only." And I go, "I know, I'm <laughs> subbing for Mister So and So," and they're like, yep. "No, you're not." And I was like 24 at the time, yeah, yeah. and they're like, "Wait, you're." wait, Elsie, do you want to see my license? I signed in right. earlier. Can I see my D, please? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess you are really a teacher, but I, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. I, uh, if, you know, for your audio listeners, I have a, I'm trying to grow out like a nice beard and there's a purpose. It's not only just because I like it, but when I would shave, I looked like a student. And that same thing happened to me when I was subbing. I was like, hey, uh, well, I would walk into the classroom and I'd be like, okay, guys, I'm your sub. And they're like, who are you? What? did you like, what, are you like disguised as a teacher? Like, who are you? And, yeah, yeah, you just so play around. Yeah. So that, that made it a lot worse. Cause it was like, man, like, well, I, you know, it's good to look young, I guess that's a good blessing. But <laughs> for the purpose of what I was doing, it was like, mm, no one can take me seriously if I look like a child. So that was, that's kind of tough. Yeah. yeah. Going back to your, the teachers that you looked up to were mm-hmm. always seemed to be older. I think that's cause you're an old soul. And so you value their wisdom, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that you're not smart. First of all, I, I don't like self-deprecation. You are smart. Um, but just because you don't have 
50 years of experience in teaching doesn't mean you don't have something valuable to give these kids. And, you know, I've seen the way you talk in the telegram chat and things like that. And you just want people to genuinely think for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's seriously lacking in today's uh, public schools. It's sure. very much just, can you, can you do this test? Right. Can you pass this diagnostic? Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, then you're quote unquote smart, you're good enough, you're whatever, yeah. but it's not genuinely teaching them to think. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you talk, we've talked, if you need the telegram chat and you genuinely make people question and think things. And I genuinely believe you'd also do that in your class. And I think that's what makes you a great teacher, not the years of experience that you have. Thank you, Al. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny that a lot of people seem to, uh, force themselves into humility or to like be modest because it's like well if you don't then you're just being selfish or egotistical but I've been overcoming that and teaching has helped a lot because my my mentor so like when I was a student teacher the person I'm referring to as my mentor was my like mentor teacher he was the one who was my boss at at, at, at that time and he would always tell me he's like you're not going to like this Jake but the way it has to be is you have to be the alpha in the in the classroom like you're the one that has to run it you can't let the kids run it and that was tough because I'm not a very uh I'm not the kind of guy to raise my voice especially given like what my parents did to each other it was not something I wanted to do at all and he's like well why'd you become a teacher and I'm like I don't know I mean it wasn't to boss kids around and he's like well if you if you can learn to to do that then you won't have to boss them around I was like, wait, what is he saying? If I can learn to be a good leader, then I won't have to be an evil leader and I won't have to become a tyrant. So I was like, all right, well, you've given me something to really think about. And that was in 2019. Okay. 2020, April of 2020 was when I graduated and I became certified. But that was also the worst time because everything shut down. There was nowhere to get a job. And I was just sitting on my ass all summer collecting those good old unemployment checks. So when I finally did start my first job teaching, I carried that with me and I figured out that being a nice person is going to get you really nice and like wants the best for other people, but it can also be used against you and finding a balance between being nice and being supportive, but also being firm was the biggest challenge for me because I've always been warm and like a loving person, mostly, 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 mostly peaceful, but, but, but now, always, now, now like those protesters right there are mostly peaceful. You're right, right. Peaceful. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've always been mostly peaceful, uh, but I've never had the, the need to like, like, all right. So I was a captain on the wrestling team my senior year. And that was a tough leadership role because in 2012 at Newtown High School, that was when Sandy Hook happened. So like that was right in the middle of our wrestling season. In fact, it was on picture day. So like we were all dressed up to take pictures for the for the wrestling team for the uh, yearbook. And uh, so we shut down for a week and then we came back to school and we started wrestling practice again. And it was me and three other guys. We were the captains. We were in charge of motivating and inspiring these kids who were, you know, we, 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 because we you were, were in all charge of inspiring, motivating kids. And you guys were what? We were kids ourselves. Like yeah. when we're, you know, we, we, we were placed in this very dark situation and 
I think a lot of us just wanted to quit. We're like, well, like doing sports right now doesn't feel like the thing to do. Like it's just, we, we all wanted to shut down, but that kind of forced me to think about like, all right, well, at that point I was only an 18 firm leader, but I knew how to be warm and I knew how to help people if they felt down and depressed, but if they were acting out and misbehaving, like I was not the the guy to correct their, their behavior. I can only help them become emotionally inspired. So then when I became a student teacher and a real teacher, learning how to use that same skill, the emotional intelligence of helping people feel understood and validated, which is great. But I was also missing the authoritarian necessity that comes with teaching. And so learning that has been a real trip because it felt fake for so long, but now I feel like I finally got it. And it just took a lot of trial and a lot of error. Yeah, I was never a a certified teacher. And Mm -hmm. so the way that I would actually get kids to listen to me is I would bribe them and say, if you guys did all your work, then I'll tell you what happened to my hand at the end of class. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) I was uh, didn't have that authoritarian uh, piece Mm -hmm. either. Um, But it worked like they all wanted to hear. So it probably wouldn't have worked like long term. Right. Um, It'll like work a couple of times. So it worked for subbing. It was great. But Yeah. yeah, I definitely understand where that's. Uh, you can help people and talk to them and be vulnerable and things like that. And that emotional intelligence, Mm. but that firmness without being overbearing or raising your voice and things like Mm. that. um, Definitely understand that struggle. Yeah. And don't, don't get me wrong. Like I've really fucked up a couple of times. Like I've, I've made kids cry. If you can believe that, like, because I was concerned, you know, especially as a student teacher, this guy's watching me do what I do. And he's like watching me. He's taking notes while I'm I'm teaching. That freaked me out. Yeah, that'd be so intimidating. Yeah, that was like worse than a therapy session because it's like, <laughs> like you're not sitting on a couch. You know, you're like you're out, you're out there. But um, I was under a lot of pressure to be firm and I took it too far sometimes. And that was in the speaker, but I missed the point of, okay, you have to balance both sides. And so whether that's, in a romantic relationship, in a friendship, in your career, wherever you are, you have to be firm and stand up for yourself, of course. Um, But there's also a point where, you know, we have to consider that we're all human beings here, just because someone, even though you've given them the same direction, like, do this, this and this, and you've explained it four times, and they still don't get it. You know, that's a them problem. That's not a me problem. I shouldn't treat it like it's a me problem because that's a them problem. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. And I feel like, I feel like it really boils down to communication because mm-hmm. if, so I, I tutored for a really long time. Yeah. And so I could explain it to you about five or six different ways. Mm-hmm. And, but if you're genuinely not interested or you're not even trying to meet me halfway at uh, whatever we're learning, then it, it kind of gets to a point that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. Mm. There's only so much I can do. You know, I'm not just going to give you one direction and then go, Oh, you don't get it. That's not, that, that, that's your problem, not mine. Um, but like you said, it's, I feel like it really all comes down to communication, whether it's yeah. in a career in a romantic relationship in a podcast in uh, w- whatever it's mm. all comes down to communication and being really clear about your intentions and what you want and what you need. And Uh, That can be really hard for a lot of people because communicating what you need and want for a lot of people can seem very selfish. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally hear that. Like, you know, there are, are times so like, you know, I, I should probably back up a little bit because if anyone's listening, they're like, wow, why is this guy a teacher? Like, you know, there are definitely times where I don't do my job the best way. Like if a kid doesn't understand something, that is a me problem. And I should ask myself like, okay, how could I do this a different way to help you this, this person? Or like if you're texting someone and they misunderstand what you're saying, it's like, how could I have sent that message differently to get across the point that I wanted to get across? You know, that's, um, but yeah, there's a limit to that. And I totally hear what you're saying too. It's like, if we can learn to trust ourselves that we're going to do the best thing for ourselves and not feel like it's selfish. And if we're going to ask for what we really need and, you know, talk about what we really want, that's going to make everyone around us feel more comfortable because I know in, in the early stages of my teaching career, which is, I'm still in the, in the early stages, but like the early, early stages, yeah, the yeah. first couple of days, the kids are very smart and they were totally aware that I was up there with no idea of what I was doing and why I was up there. And I like, I think back on, on those times where a class would go horribly wrong, not because I didn't prepare because I would spend hours preparing, but it was really just that I could sense that I didn't believe in myself and I doubted my ability to be that old soul mentor that I always looked up to. And that put a serious limitation on myself. So just like you said about self-depreciation and, you know, self-deprecating statements, I would be doing that in my head the whole day. Like while I was driving to work, I'd be like, ah, shit, shit, shit. This is, is going to, this is going to go terribly wrong. Now it's the opposite. Now I, I feel comfortable. I feel like I've built a, like I said, with the divorce, it took, it took a, a long time and I'm still not like there yet but I've come, I've come pretty far and uh, I, I haven't sacrificed that warm, loving side of myself that I was afraid was going to go away once I learned to be the alpha, whatever that really means. So I feel like, it, and, and I'm going to take a guess here and if I'm totally sure. wrong, feel Ooh, free to correct it. me yeah. and say, no, that's not what I'm thinking. So I feel like a lot of guys get this message from the world that they're supposed to be alpha, but if they're too alpha, then it's this toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and that's bad too. And it, I feel like, you know, cause my, my husband and I have talked about this of yeah. there's this struggle of what, what's a guy really supposed to do. And I can't, I'm not male. Um, I can't pretend to know what you guys experience, but I do recognize there seems to be this struggle and having and I think it's really group that you mentioned, uh, great that you mentioned that men's group that you're in yeah, just because yeah. being able to talk with guys, cause I heard someone say, you know, they don't, you guys don't go to a bar or hang out or, uh, have an excuse to just call mm. guys. Don't just randomly call up their friends to chat typically. So you mm. need an excuse to talk. So I feel like having that group is a really great way for you yeah. to grow mm. and for the other guys in that group to grow. And figure out what it means to be uh, masculine without that label of toxic masculinity. Cause right. there's nothing wrong with a guy who's strong and knows what to do and can be a leader. That's typically historically what women look up to. It's not a bad thing, but society has turned it into this really bad thing. And if you're a woman and you're like, yeah, I do want a guy who's more authoritarian, not mm 
uh, exploiting it, but just, right. yeah, this is what we're going to do. And yeah, I'm going to take care of you or yeah, I'm going to hold the door open or things like that. Um, you know, we're all, as women, we're taught that's a bad thing and you shouldn't mm. want that. And I'm, I've just gotten to the point. I'm like, that is what I want. Um, that it's is great. what I do. Yeah. And, you know, I wish there was more guys like that. And so I'm really happy that you're in this group and you guys are trying to figure out yeah. what that means. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, from that example, like, you know, it, we have to be honest with ourselves. And I think the messaging that we get from all the different sources, the media, from the social norms on the social media, we have a lot of um, unpacking to to do. And things like feminism, uh, you know, they have influenced us a lot. And there has been a lot of great changes that have come about since then, since, I don't know, like the early, early days of feminism. But we have to also recognize when we take things too far. And that's definitely been a theme for me is I do want to avoid be- being toxic, whatever that means. Yeah, I, like, I don't... I've recognized um, toxicity in my personality if I go too far on like a certain vibe. Like if I try, if I try to be alpha, say using that phrase even makes me cringe because like oh i'm gonna try to be alpha that sounds like such a douchey thing if i tried to do that i would be the worst person to be around if i be myself if i open myself up and accept that there are going to be times where i look weak but i'll still be trying my absolute best and that authenticity i think is what being a man is all about but for anyone else like it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman whoever I do want to say this, that if you listen to the voice that's guiding you, whether that's your intuition, your gut, whatever you want to call it, you'll, you will always know automatically. If you, if you really listen, if you really ground yourself and center yourself, you'll always know if you're doing the right thing. And I felt at time someone else. And that's the biggest takeaway I've gotten from teaching is that you learn by watching other teachers And I was always told this, that you will learn by observing, but you can only really truly learn by doing it yourself. And that's something I want to take away for sure. Even if I switch careers or do whatever, is that we can be our quote unquote best versions of ourselves if we're always honest with ourselves first and we try our our best every day. And it sounds like a very cliche statement, but it's a good, it's a, it feels like a good way to encapsulate what I've learned in the, in the classroom the last two years is to just, you know, only you can do it your way. No one else can really tell you or show you how to do it. You have to figure it out for yourself. And that's very challenging, but it's also very rewarding because once you do figure it out and once you start speaking your truth and being yourself, it feels so liberating. And that is where all the sauce is. I say all, all the, all the gravy as chance would say. <laughs> No, I, so I love all of that. So, uh, a guy expressing emotion does not make him weak. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's been perverted a- as well, um, to, you know, the far one side and then, you know, the feminism was on the other and it just, it's become so convoluted. Um, but then going back to, you know, being truly yourself and trusting your gut. And I feel like, so many people have lost that. And for whatever reason, they're afraid to be that way. And they're afraid to uh, really be in touch with themselves, whether that's because, 
they've had traumas and they're afraid of themselves or mm. um, they've been told they can't or society or whatever the reason, the reason doesn't really matter. Um, but they haven't, they can't really be true to themselves. Mm. But when you are, like you said, that's where the magic happens yeah. because it, it's kind of this uh, vibe of as long as I'm not hurting anybody mm-hmm. and, you know, je- trying to be an asshole, fuck everybody else. Like if you're genuinely just trying to be the best version of you and you're not hurt, like I said, go do that. Like, mm-hmm. um, if you want to go live on an Island, if you want to go be a, whoops, a, a hobo, like you do you <laughs> right, like, right as long as you're not hurting anybody mm-hmm. and that's the best version of you, more power to you. Right on, right on. Yeah. A lot of people are, fr- and like, if anyone asked me, like my, my cousin, for example, he, uh, he's a college professor and he asks all of his students at the beginning of every year, what are you most passionate about? And what is your biggest fear? And my biggest fear is hurting other people. Cause I've seen people get hurt emotionally, physically, don't want to see that happen to anyone. And I don't want to be the cause of that to anyone. Um, and so that is totally valid fear, right? But my mentor would always tell me, he's like, do what you're going to do. It's always better to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. And that's not only like at, at first I was worried, and this was a very egotistical thing. I was worried about having the students like me and being accepted or being accepted by my peers or my family, whoever. But it was really about respecting myself. And if I were to just take risks and try and fail and try again, I would respect myself much more every time I would keep on trying. There were times where I rolled over and wanted to give up and I lost respect for myself. But somehow, thankfully, my friends and my family or whomever helped me pull out of that state and I kept on going. And there's there's a lot to be thankful for in that regard, I would say, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, respecting yourself. I feel like at the end of the day, that's that, that's what it boils down to. That's how you can sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Whatever decisions you made, you know, are, are you at peace with those decisions? Right. Um, and you, sometimes you see these things on the internet, uh, comments that people make and things like that. And you're like, how do you sleep at night? Like, are you really mm-hmm. okay with yourself? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, oh, God. You know what really comes up for me, Elle? Hope you're ready for this. I think right. you're going to like this. Uh, or maybe not, but uh, well, no, 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 no. All right. I have been labeled an anti-vaxxer, um, a far-right white supremacist conspiracy theorist. Uh, you know, I've been labeled all the things. And all the things. <laughs> I've been threatened. I've been threatened. My My career has been threatened. My family has threatened me to like exile me and I never gave up and (laughs) I wanted to give up so many times I was like just please make this stop I'll do the thing if you just leave me alone but that voice in my head or that voice in my gut was like you need to stick to your guns because if you don't you will never respect yourself ever again and now that this has come full circle like wow that was the most challenging thing I've ever been through that period of isolation for about two years where it was like no one's going to want to talk to me no one's going to want to be around me or if they are willing to spend time with me i have to stick a thing in my in my nose and prove that i'm not ill or diseased and that was 
very challenging. But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that there was an intuition and it eventually did become based in data and science, right? Thank God. But in the beginning, it was an intuition and it was also like a knowledge of history, like basic yeah. pharmaceutical history that it was like, all right, I'm going to stick to my guns here. People are going to lose respect for me. People are going to block me. People are going to exile me from their life. And I have to accept that because if I don't, I will lose respect for myself. So that has been really solidified in my entire life. If there are things that I believe that I know I have to follow because that's just the right thing to do for my personal, my personal morals or my, uh, my gut feeling. I have to follow it no matter what. And I, I, I will beg for forgiveness and it'll work out okay because I still have respect for myself. And I hope other people can relate to that because even though people are going to challenge you and judge you, they will still respect you if you stay true to yourself. And that's what I try to do during this uh, roaring 20s craziness that we've all been through. <laughs> and I appreciate you sharing your uh, insights on this in your first episode. Because the the last part of that episode made me so angry, Elle. And I kind of remember telling you this before. I was like, these are the things that I was thinking that no one was saying. And now someone's saying it. And God damn it, I feel so validated. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, be- becoming a social pariah because you weren't following the current thing. Mm. And the current thing lasted a while and it's still kind of happening. Um, it, it can be hard. You know, yeah. there's people, like you said, there's people that are like, I can't be friends with you or you can't come over. You have to do this before I see you or, and instead of just having that human connection, it's become this, uh, all these stipulations before you can connect with somebody and it's made connecting that much harder, but in the same way, it's almost made it easier because you find the people that you actually want to connect with and that value connections Right. and, uh, having family that doesn't, support that freedom of choice. Um, it's not easy. It can be hard. I'm lucky that my parents and my mom's one at nine. So I have lots of aunts and uncles and cousins and things Mm -hmm. like that. Most of them have been supportive. Um, but there's been some that are like, Nope, we're not going to do that. And yeah, my thing is, is I feel like everyone should be able to make whatever decision that they make. Amen to that. As long as they feel that it's actually informed, whatever informed means to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you do you and I do me and we're all good. Mm. It's when you start making assumptions that I should do certain things. Right. That that's where I, 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 have, I have problems. Yeah. Um, because, uh, and I'm going to make this super controversial at this point. Great. Um, Let's hear it. We, I love how we went from, it's my body, my choice to then the Jabberwockies. And then it's no longer my body, my choice, but with Roe v. Wade back up, we're back to my body, my choice. Mm. And some of them you can say women, but other ones, it's like a birthing person or something like that. Let me be clear, Elle. I cannot give birth. Even if I wanted to, I cannot. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you're, so you're, you're okay being called a man. Like that. That's, yeah. We're, we're I, I would there. love to be called a man. Yes, please. Okay. All right. Cool. Just, <laughs> but yeah. And, seeing that side eat themselves alive simply because one of them's like, Oh, well you can say woman. Another one's like, no, you have to say birthing person. So now there's like this infighting and I'm just mm, like, yeah, yeah. how about we just take the government out of all medical decisions right, right. and just 
there, there should be no laws regarding it at all. Like, yeah. I think it's wrong, but just keep the government out of it. Can we agree yeah. on that part? See, like, I would be curious, are there other countries dealing with this? Because it seems like we're the only ones. Like, it seems like everyone else has it figured out, or maybe maybe they they don't, and I'm just assuming. But it seems like we're very hyper-focused on, like, what what we're doing. And I think we can learn from other places that maybe have like figured this out, have resolved a way to give people the choices that they desire without harming um, the population. I don't know. There's, there's got to be some solution in giving people choice. But at the same time, I don't think that the argument and the division that, you, that you're talking about is productive at all. It seems okay. like, yeah, so... And I do want to clarify something else too, not to change the subject. Oh, no, this is, I'm glad we're talking about this. Um, but in, in regards to my family, like we've resolved that as well. Like there was a, a lot of judgment right. passed on me and on my decisions, um, but they've all understood it, especially given that there's now data coming out. Like I had a, a, a cousin call me up when the Delta variant began. He's like, Jake, you need to get vaccinated. You're going to lose your, your job. Like he was, pretty much pressuring me like balls to the wall and I just spoke to him like a couple days ago on my on my birthday and I and we were that was the first time that we spoke since that delta variant time and he apologized to me and I did not ask him to apologize I did not ask him of anything he went out of his like he realized what had happened and he wasn't saying like oh Jake you were right he was just saying like look man I got some new information and it changed the way that I think and I'm sorry for what I said. And that was mind blowing to me. I was like, wow, that is, if that's possible, if people can actually do that, then whether the issue is abortion or whether it's immigration, vaccination, whatever it is, people still have the ability to change themselves. We can't change this, this, the situation, but we can still change ourselves. And I think that's something to remember. Oh my God, that gave me goosebumps. It gives me so much hope that people can like, actually accept new information because very few people I feel like can accept new information regardless of the topic you know uh abortion tataria immigration (laughs) voting fraud like enter hot button insert hot button issue here like I I, I don't care I don't care what it is um the fact that you can accept new information that that's awesome like that that is absolutely phenomenal Mm -hmm. um I had an aunt and uncle who they're like, oh yeah, uh, they saw something on my Instagram and I guess they called my mom and they're like, oh, Elizabeth left Big Pharma. Why would mm. she do that? And at this point I had already said why I left. And my mom was like, I don't know. Why don't you ask her? Guess who still hasn't called or texted to see why I left? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, like a them problem. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to reach out to you and explain myself, but yeah. if you want to call me and ask, like I'm more than happy to explain. Right. I know you would too, because like those videos that you've created and like, you know, you've kind of like, you've um, been able to send your message and like speak your truth by like exposing what you've seen and what you've been through has revealed that this system or these systems that are in place, like you brought up the government, you know, the government doesn't need to be involved in everything that, that we we do. And to the FBI agents listening to us now, if we can learn. Literally, to take the a- FBI agents cut you off. You said to the FBI agents and your mic went off. 
they're still doing it. Yeah. They, they, they're still doing it. You got cut off again. The FBI okay. just don't like you. Let me say it one more. Oh, it literally like on Zoom, it pops as it, it says your internet connection is unstable. It's like, uh. what I'm trying to say is that we are speaking our, our truth. People are not going to like it. And if we can accept that, we would actually prevent a lot of conflict because I don't want to win everyone over. I don't want to win anyone over, actually. I just want to be myself and whoever's okay with that. Like, that's great. Like I've definitely since the divorce, since like going to school and like learning how to be a good student and all this, like I've learned to change myself to fit in or to be accepted. Um, And that's, that's great. That can get you so far for survival purposes, mostly. But if you want to thrive, um, stand on your own two feet and don't worry what other people say because eventually you might inspire them to do the same thing and they'll be like yeah that it's better to live on your wh- what is it I would rather live on my feet on my, my knees, knees. Yeah. yeah 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 I, I saw this thing too and it was and I'm probably gonna butcher it a little bit but it was basically like uh, the people in the stands who the people booing in the stands only bought tickets to watch. Mm. So if someone's all mad at you because of you, like, like I said, as long as you're not hurting anybody and you're being true to yourself, like, I feel like that's what this whole thing comes down to is just being true to you. And we can agree to disagree and you can have a debate with somebody and, um, but genuinely hear their points. Mm. And at the end of that conversation, you, maybe your mind's not changed, yeah. but if you can respect that other person's point of view, right. That is where so many different conflicts, like you said, would just be non-existent because we're respecting the other person. Now that's what gives me goosebumps because that humanity is essential. Like if there was anything essential about any argument or any debate, any discussion, it's, do I see the human being on the other side? Yes. And something that you might ap- appreciate L. uh, Wait, you, you said I might appreciate, and then the FBI. Okay, uh, yeah. Hello, feds. Um, do you do you know uh, Michaela Peterson? That's Jordan Peterson's daughter. No. Okay, so she has her own podcast, um, the Michaela Peterson Show, or something like that. The Michaela okay. Peterson Podcast, but she does this uh, this thing called opposing views. So she purposely will seek out like a pro vaxxer or an anti vaxxer and get them together, or she'll seek out like a germ theory and a terrain theory person get them together. And, you know, that's why people love debates because you get two sides of an issue. And she, she, she does a great job of keeping things civil because she's not there to like create these clickbait type of discussions where they're going to go viral for yelling at each other. Like it's grounded in civility and humane uh, values. And I think that's, um, why I'm so thankful that people have been willing to hear me out and see me as a human being, not just as a member of this camp or that camp. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like putting up those divisions and trying to put labels or in boxes and things like that, uh, while it's human nature to want to label things and put Mm -hmm. things in boxes because it makes it easier for our minds to organize. It's people aren't like that. Like you can be, uh, anti-mandate but pro-vax and for a lot of people that blows their minds and i'm like 
but why do you have to put labels? Those are my favorite people, by the way. (laughs) Oh yeah. hundred percent. And I'm like, I can give you statistics and the things that I've learned. I'm not, but to your point, I'm not here to change anyone's mind. I'm not here to stand on this soapbox and try and tell you what to think. That's not my job. Right. But if you want information, I'm more than happy to provide that mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, I just try and put people in boxes and labels. It just it never ends well. Yeah. And it's validating that we both get so worked up about this because at a certain point I felt guilty and I was like, man, all I do is complain about this mandate and like how it's affected me. But like, I can't pretend like it hasn't affected me. And now that it's basically over, it doesn't matter anymore. It's like, well, now I'm looking back on it. Like, what was I so stressed out about for two years? Uh, And yeah, I mean, my, my job was under threat. I did have to, I literally had to write an essay about why I'm a Christian and why being a Christian is, you know, getting in the way of my willingness to do this thing. And I cited the, the Bible and I cited the civil rights act. And I put in all my citations and I cited my sources and I did all the things and I got a good grade on it, I guess. Like I, you know, that's what I had to do, but (laughs) that like that just just breaks my heart because I don't understand how we can say there's freedom of religion and yet we were shutting places of worship down Mm -hmm. and then you have to, like you, you said it so perfectly. Did I write this essay well enough to get a good enough grade? So I don't have to do the thing that I don't want to do, even though I shouldn't have to do it anyway. Like, and then having that subjective person tell you, are, 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 are your beliefs strong enough? Do they really believe that that's what you believe And who, like, who are they to judge? And the fact that we, the exemption thing has to exist at all. Yeah. Infuriates me on so many levels. Like I start like, that should be assumed, right? Like, weren't yes. we weren't we taught to separate church and state? Like, let me be clear. Like, I'm not like really a Christian. Like, I don't label myself as a Christian. But for the purpose of this experience, oh hell yeah, Jesus is on my side there. But we're supposed to check. We're we're supposed to separate church from state. And why? How could the state qualify your your religion? How how does that happen? Yeah. It's, definitely a problem (laughs) so two things what happens to i thought no meant no Mm. regardless of the situation doesn't know me no right why do i have to give an explanation um and two i remember so last april they actually took away the religious exemptions for children to go to school for the jabberwockies and i remember yes and i went to the protest and um i was at the capitol in connecticut not the one on january 6th fbi agents like the one in Connecticut in April, it was peaceful. Mm-hmm. There were babies in strollers there. Okay. Nice. Um, and like, I know now there's a lawsuit to try and overturn that. But then what boggles my mind too, is the kids don't have that option, but you as a teacher, as an adult in the state of Connecticut have that option. Mm-hmm. So why is it okay for an adult and not a child? Why can't a parent speak for the child or the child say, I don't want this based on my religious beliefs, but you Mm. as an adult, once you turn 18, have that option. No one has been able to explain that to me. Yeah. I never thought about that before. It's like, all right, I know like at a certain point, like you're old enough to do your own research and all this, but like, then why not? Uh, Yeah. That I cannot answer that, that question. And I don't know if we'll ever get an answer, but just the fact that this exists, it tells us the problem all along is like the authority that we accept is the authority that we will live by. And 
I tried my best not to break any laws or to hurt anybody. You know, that's what we've been talking about, right? Like do the thing, but don't hurt anybody. I never spread anti-vax propaganda to my students, even though I was pissed off every single day that it was happening. And yet I, I ended up winning in the end because I mean, I didn't hurt anybody. I just stuck to my guns and now it's all, it doesn't matter anymore. And it was really just hanging on and believing that things were going to go back to the way that they should be, which is kind of naive for me to say that because just because there's no longer a weekly testing requirement for me, or just because I don't have to wear a mask in school anymore, doesn't mean that those types of things could happen again. So I think this is, this has been a great lesson on the authority that we were talking about. Like a good leader would have said, all right, you, if you want to wear a mask and be safe and like feel safe, then please go for it. We're not going to force you to, to, to do it because we know that some of you aren't going to like it. If I think about leadership, that's, that's what I would have done. But, you know, who am I? I'm just, a, I'm just an average Joe. <laughs> I'm not a sleepy Joe, but I'm an average Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, you're definitely not sleepy Joe. I, yeah, I just, and I feel like that comes down to and I don't know if it's, I don't put myself in a box of libertarian, liberal, mm. conservative, Republican, like whatever, but basically my whole philosophy in life, government, personal decisions, whatever you do, you, I do me. Don't hurt anybody else. Don't involve kids in some weird way and just be nice to each other. Don't yep. be an asshole. And we're all going to be fine. We don't need like a seatbelt law to tell you to wear your seatbelt because right. if I get into a car accident and I'm not wearing a seatbelt, the only person I'm going to hurt is myself. Right. So why does there need to be a law on that? And yeah. Maybe that's controversial. I don't know, but I like that though. Yeah, no, it's it's a great point. It's like you know we're we're going to have an influence on the people around us based on what based on every decision that we make every day. And as if you can just avoid making the shitty decisions that hurt other people and like put people into jeopardy, then you should be able to do whatever you want. And of course, there's limits to that. Like you know, you can't you can't hurt people. You can't like just take things because you want them like you know there's there's right. it's reasonable but uh yeah if it's exactly. not yours don't take it if respect people's property it. treat others we want to be treated pretty sure we all should have learned that in kindergarten mm-hmm. and uh like i feel like it really is that simple and somehow we overcomplicate it yeah we, we you tell know what's kids helpful? And... go ahead all right um someone just told me today uh you know i was it wrapping up on a podcast and I, I, I asked them what advice they would give to themselves if they were like talking to their, their past selves, like yeah. go back in, in time and give pat and give advice to your past self. And they, and they yep. said, feelings are not facts. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm like, yeah, I mean, people have, thanks to the media, thanks to the repetition of these messages have felt very strongly about these things and they may not be true but they feel very strongly about them. And if we can understand each other and be like, all right, I understand you've been led to believe a certain thing and you have strong feelings about it. That doesn't mean it's not possible for us to communicate about it, right? Like there's never going to be a barrier between us as long as we can respect each other's feelings. And that's, it sounds like, you know, oh, this guy's talking about feelings, but just like you said earlier, all out with logic and rational thought because if we disregard people's feelings, then we'll never see them as the, as the actual human being that they are. So even though all my family members had all the facts about why I was wrong for not getting the vaccine, they disregarded my feelings for a certain point. 
now we're all on the same page, but there was definitely a lesson there that once we stop seeing the humanity in each other, then all that communication breaks down. And that's something that I want to hold on to is we're all human. We're all going through it. Let's help each other. Let's help each other and not tear each other down. Oh, I love that. I love that. If you want to uh, tell people where they can find you, Jake, it's been so great talking to you. I appreciate Thanks for letting you me rant on, on your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I feel like we covered so many different topics and I just, I, I love it. This is an awesome conversation uh, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon, but I'd love me for too. people to know where they can find you and hear some of your podcasts and your shows and because I really enjoy listening to you and your perspective. Thank you, Elle. Thank you, Elle. I'm really looking forward to doing this again. It's going to be great. And um, I'm very excited for you. Um, happy you started doing this. And I appreciate the opportunity. So if you guys want to follow up, you can find the Local Listens podcast. And you can also join the, the Telegram group, which uh, I've just uh, started on my birthday. And it's been really cool. There's a lot of memes in there. There's a whole lot of memes, probably mostly memes. Um, so bring your dankest memes, please. You can find that at t.me slash local listeners join the telegram group stay connected have some fun and that's basically it you know where to find me guys um and i look forward to speaking with some people in the future and l i'd love to have you on my my podcast very soon we've already got it scheduled so it'll be happening uh very soon so stay tuned y'all because l has a lot of cool stuff to share and I appreciate you guys being here to, to listen to Elle's show because she's a total badass. And I'm thankful that we've been connected through this community. Thank you, Jake. Yeah, I am looking forward to speaking with you. And it's been just a pleasure talking with you. I've had so much fun, especially on this dreary day. Um, it's probably why the internet was being angry or the FBI agents. I'm going to go with FBI agents. It was, yeah. it, it's, it's much cooler. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening to Speed Bumps. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Cheers. Cheers.